Chapter Seven of In the Reign of Terror by G. A. Henty. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Raimundo. Chapter Seven: The Second of September. Victor de Guizon was, as usual, waiting near the door when Harry left Louise Moulin's. What is the news, Henri? Nothing suspicious, I hope. You are out sooner than usual. Yes, for I have something to think of. Here we have been planning in vain for the last fortnight to hit upon some scheme for getting our friends out of prison, and John has pointed out a way which you and I never thought of. What is that, Henri? The simplest thing in the world, namely that we should seize one of the leaders of these villains and compel him to sign an order for their release. That certainly seems possible, Victor said. I wonder it never occurred to either of us. But how is it to be done? Ah, that is for us to think out. Jean has given us the idea, and we should be stupid if we cannot invent the details. In the first place, we have got to settle which of them it had better be, and in the next, how it is to be managed. It must be someone whose signature the people at the prison would be sure to obey. Then, Victor said, it must be either Danton or Rospierre. Or Marat, Harry added. I think he is as powerful as either of the others. He is the worst of them, anyhow, Victor said. There is something straightforward about Danton. No doubt he is ambitious, but I think his hatred of us all is real. He is a terrible enemy and will certainly stick at nothing. He is ruthless and pitiless, but I do not think he is double-faced. Robespierre is ambitious too, but I think he is really acting according to his principles, such as they are. He would be pitiless too, but he would murder on principle. He would sign unmoved the order for a hundred heads to fall if he thought their falling necessary or even useful for the course of the revolution but I do not think he would shed a drop of blood to satisfy private enmity. They call him the incorruptible. He is more dangerous than Danton, for he has no vices. He lives simply, and they say is fond of birds and pets. I do not think we should make much of either Danton or him, even if we got them in our power. Danton would be like a wild beast in a snare. He would rage with fury, but I do not think that he would be intimidated into signing what we require, nor do I think would Robespierre. Marat is a different creature altogether. He is simply venomous. He hates the world and would absolutely rejoice in slaughter. So loathsome is he in appearance that even his colleagues shrink from him. He is a venomous reptile whom it would be a pleasure to slay, as it would be to put one's heel upon a rattlesnake. Whether he is a coward or not, I do not know, but I should think so. Men of his type are seldom brave. I think if we had him in our hands, we might frighten him into doing what we want. Then Marat it shall be, Harry said. That much is settled. Tomorrow we will find out something about his habits. Till we know about that, we cannot form any plan whatever. Let us meet at dinner time at our usual place. Then we will go outside the assembly and wait till he comes out. Fortunately, we both know him well by sight. He will be sure to go, surrounded as usual, by a mob of his admirers, to the Jacobin Club. From there we can trace him to his home. No doubt anyone could tell us where he lives, but it would be dangerous to ask. When we have found that out, we can decide upon our next step. They were, however, saved the trouble they contemplated, for they learned from the conversation of two men among the mob, who cheered Murat as he entered the assembly, what they wanted to know. Murat is the man for me, one of them said. He hates the aristocracy. He would bathe in their blood. I never miss reading his articles in the Friend of the People. His cry is always, blood, blood. He does not ape the manner of the bourgeois. He does not wash his face and put on clean linen. He is a great man, but he is as dirty as the best of us. He still lives in his old lodgings, though he could move if he liked into any of the fine houses whose owners are in the prisons. He wants no servants, but lives just as we do. Vive Marat! Where does the great citizen live? Victor asked the man in a tone of earnest entreaty. 
On learning the address, they took their way to the dirty and disreputable street where Marat lodged. The citizen Marat lives in this street, does he not? Victor asked a man lounging at the door of the cabaret. Yes, in that house opposite. Do you want him? No, only I was curious to see the house where the friend of the people lives, and as I was passing the end of the street, turned down. Will you drink a glass? I am always ready for that, the man said, but in these hard times one cannot do it as often as one would like. That is true enough, Victor said as they took their seats at a table. And so Moran lives over there. It's not much of a place for a great man. It is all he wants, the other said carelessly, and he is safer here than he would be in the richer quarters. There would be a plot against him, and those cursed royalists would kill him if they had the chance, but he is always escorted home from the club by a band of patriots. In the evening, Harry and Victor returned to the street and watched until Marat returned from the Jacobin club. His escort of men with torches and bludgeons left him at the door, but two or three went upstairs with him, and until far in the night visitors came and went. Then the light in the upper room was extinguished. It is not such an easy affair, Victor said as they moved away, and you see, as that man in the wine shop told us, there is an old woman who cooks for him, and it is much more difficult to seize two people without an alarm being given than one. That is so, Harry agreed, but it must be done somehow. Every day matters grow more threatening, and those bands of scoundrels from Marseilles have not been brought all this way for nothing. The worst of it is, we have such a short time to act. Marat does not seem to be ever alone from early morning until late at night. Supposing we did somehow get the order of release from him at night, we could not present it till the morning, and before we could present it, someone might arrive and discover him fastened up, and might take the news to the prison before we could get them out. Yes, that is very serious, Victor agreed. I begin to despair, Henri. We must not do that, Harry rejoined. You see, we thought it impossible before till Jean gave us the idea. There must be some way out of it if we could only hit upon it. Perhaps by tomorrow morning an idea will occur to one of us. And there is another thing to be thought of. We must procure disguises for them. It would be of no use whatever getting them out unless we could conceal them after they are freed. It would not do for them to go to Louise Moulin's. She has three visitors already, and the arrival of more to stay with her would be sure to excite talk among the neighbors. The last orders are so strict about the punishment of anyone giving shelter to enemies of the Republic that people who let rooms will all be suspicious. The only plan will be to get them out of the city at once. It will be difficult for them to make their way through France on foot, for in every town and village there is the strictest lookout kept for suspected persons. Still, that must be risked. There is no other way. Yes, we must see about that tomorrow, Henri. But I do not think the Marquise could support her journey, for they would have to sleep in the fields. Moreover, she will probably elect to stay near her children until all can go together. Therefore, I think that it will be best for her to come either to you or me. We can take an additional room, saying that our mother is coming up from the country to keep house for us. Yes, that would be much the best plan, Victor. And now here we are close home. I hope by the time we meet in the morning one of us may have hit upon some plan or other for getting hold of this scoundrel. "'I have hit upon an idea, Victor,' Harry said when they met the next morning. "'I am glad to hear of it, for though I have lain awake all night, I could think of nothing. "'Well, what is your idea?' "'Well, you see, Marat often goes out in the morning alone. "'He is so well known, and he is so much regarded by the lower class, "'that he has no fear of any assault being made upon him during the day. "'My plan is that we should follow him till he gets into some street with few people about. "'Then I would rush upon him, seize him, and draw a knife to strike, shouting, "'Die, villain!' You should be a few paces behind, and should run up and strike the knife out of my hand, managing at the same moment to tumble over Marat and fall with him to the ground. That would give me time to bolt. 
I would have a beard on, and would have my other clothes under the blouse. I would rush into the first doorway and run upstairs, pull off my beard, blouse, and blue pantaloons, then walk quietly down. You would, of course, rush upstairs and meet me on the way. I should say I had just met a fellow running upstairs and should slip quietly off. It would be a frightful risk, Henri, frightful. No, I think it could be managed easily enough. Then, of course, Marat would be very grateful to you, and you could either get him to visit your lodgings or could go up to his, and once you had been there you could manage to outsit his last visitor at night, and then we could do as we agreed. But, you know, we thought we should hardly have time in the morning, Henri. No, I have been thinking of that, and I have come to the conclusion that our best plan would be to seize him and hold a dagger to his heart, and threaten to kill him instantly if he did not accompany us. Then we would go down with him into the street, and walk arm in arm with him to your lodging. We could thrust a ball of wood into his mouth, so that he could not call out even if he had the courage to do so, which I don't think he would have if he were assured that if he made the slightest sound we would kill him. Then we could make him sign the order and leave him fastened up there. It would be better to take him to your lodgings than mine, in case my visits to Louise Moulin should have been noticed, and when he is released, there will be a hue and cry from his captors. The best plan will be to put a knife into his heart at once the minute you have got the order signed, Victor said savagely. I should have no more hesitation in killing him than stamping on a snake. No, Victor, the man is a monster, but we cannot kill him in cold blood. Besides, we should do more harm than good to the cause, for the people would consider he had died a martyr to his championship of their rights, and would be more furious than ever against the aristocracy. But his account of what he has gone through will have just the same effect, Henri. I should think it probable he would keep the story to himself. What has happened once may happen again, and besides, his cowardice in signing the release of three enemies of the people in order to save his life would tell against him. No, I think he would keep silence. After we have got them safe away, we can return, and so far loosen his bonds that he would be able, after a time, to free himself. Five minutes' start would be all that we should want. But the plan was not destined to be carried out. It was the morning of the 2nd of September, 1792, and as they went down into the quarter where the magazines of old clothes were situated in order to purchase the necessary disguises, they soon became sensible that something unusual was in the air. Separating, they joined the groups of men at the corners of the streets and tried to learn what was going on, but none seemed to know for certain. All sorts of sinister rumors were about. Word had been passed that the Jacobin bands were to be in readiness that evening. Money had been distributed. The Marseillais had dropped hints that a blow was to be struck at the tyrants. Everywhere there was a suppressed excitement among the working classes, an air of gloom and terror among the bourgeois. After some time, Harry and Victor came together again and compared their observations. Neither had learned anything definite, but both were sure that something unusual was about to take place. It may be that a large number of fresh arrests are about to be made, Harry said. There are still many deputies who withstand the violence of the mountain. It may be that a blow is going to be struck against them. We must hope that that is it, Victor said, but I am terribly uneasy. Harry had the same feeling, but he did his best to reassure his friend, and proposed that they should at once set about buying the disguises, and that on the following morning they should carry into effect their plan with reference to Marat. The dresses were bought. Two suits, such as a respectable mechanic would wear on Sundays or holidays, were first purchased. There was then a debate as to the disguise for the Marquise. It struck them at once that it was strange for two young workmen to be purchasing female attire. But, after some consultation, they decided upon a bonnet and long cloak, and these Victor went in and bought, gaily telling the shopkeeper that he was buying a birthday present for his old mother. 
they took the clothes up to harry's room agreeing that louise could easily buy the rest of the garments required for the marquis as soon as she was free but they decided to say nothing about the attempt that was about to be made until it was over as it would cause an anxiety which the old woman would probably be unable to conceal from the girls victor did not accompany harry to his room they had never indeed visited each other in their apartments meeting always some little distance away in order that their connection should be unobserved and that should one be arrested no suspicion would follow the other as soon as he had deposited the clothes harry sallied out again and on rejoining victor they made their way down to the hotel de ville being too anxious to remain quiet they could learn nothing from the crowd which was as usual assembled before the hotel there was a general impression that something was about to happen but none could give any definite reason for their belief all day they wandered about restless and anxious they fought their way into the galleries of the assembly when the doors opened but for a time nothing new took place the assembly in which the moderates had still a powerful voice had protested against the assumption of authority by the council of the commune sitting at the hotel de ville but the assembly lacked firmness the commune every day gained in power already warrants of arrest were prepared against the girondists the early leaders of the movement too restless to remain in the assembly victor and harry again took their steps to the hotel de ville just as they arrived there twenty-four persons of whom twenty-two were priests were brought out from the prison of the marie by a party of marseillais who shouted to the abbe these ruffians pushed their prisoners into coaches standing at the door shouting you will not arrive at the prison the people are waiting to tear you in pieces but the people looked on silently in sullen apathy you see them the marseillais shouted there they are you are about to march to verdun they only await for your departure to butcher your wives and children still the crowd did not move the great mass of the people had no share in the bloody deeds of the revolution these were the work of a few score of violent men backed by the refuse of the population a few shouts were raised here and there of down with the priests but more of the crowd joined in the shouts which victor and harry lustily raised of shame down with the marseillais victor would have pressed forward to attack the marseillais had not harry held his arm tightly exclaiming in his ear restrain yourself victor think of the lives that depend on ours the mob will not follow you you can do nothing yourself come get out of the crowd so saying he dragged victor away it was well that they could not see what was taking place in the coaches or victor's fury would have been ungovernable for several of the ruffians had drawn their swords and were hacking furiously at their prisoners we will follow them harry said when he and victor had made their way out of the crowd but you must remember victor that come what may you must keep cool you would only throw away your life uselessly for marie's sake you must keep calm your life belongs to her and you have no right to throw it away you are right henri victor said gloomily but how can one look on and see men inciting others to massacre what is going to take place we must follow them i am ready to follow them harry said but you must not go unless you are firmly resolved to restrain your feelings whatever may happen you can do no possible good and will only involve yourself in the destruction of others you may trust me the young count said i will be calm for marie's sake harry had his doubts as to his friend's power of self-control but he was anxious to see what was taking place and they joined the throng that followed the coaches but they were now in the rear and could see nothing that was taking place before them when the carriages reached the abbey the prisoners alighted some of them were at once cut down by the marseillais the rest fled into the hall where one of the committees was sitting its members however did nothing to protect them and looked on while all save two were massacred unresistingly then the marseillais came out brandishing their bloody weapons and shouting the good work has begun down with the priests down with the enemies of the people 
the better class of people in the crowd assembled at the hotel de ville had not followed the procession to the abbey they had been horror-struck at the words and actions of the marseillais and felt that this was the beginning of the fulfilment of the rumours of the last few days the murder of the first prisoner was indeed the signal for every man of thought or feeling and of heart to draw back from the revolution thousands of earnest men who had at first thought that the hour of life and liberty commenced with the meeting of the states-general and who had gone heart and soul with that body in its early struggles for power had long since shrunk back appalled at the new tyranny which had sprung into existence each act of usurpation of power by the jacobins had alienated a section the nobles and the clergy many of whom had at first gone heartily with the early reformers had shrunk back appalled when they saw that the religion and monarchy were menaced the bourgeoisie who had made the revolution were all ready to a man against it the girondists the leaders of the third estate had fallen away and over their heads the axe was already hanging the revolution had no longer a friend in france save among the lowest the basest and the most ignorant and now by the massacres of the second of september the republic of france was to stand forth in the eyes of europe as a blood-stained monster the enemy not of kings only but of humanity in general thus the crowd following the marseillais was composed almost entirely of the scum of paris wretches who had long been at war with society who hated the rich hated the priests hated all above them men who had suffered so much that they had become wild beasts who were the products of that evil system of society which had now been overthrown the greater proportion of them were in the party of the commune for two days before all the unemployed had been enrolled as the army of the commune thus there was no repetition before the abbe of the cries of shame which had been heard in front of the marie the shouts of the marseillais were taken up and re-echoed by the mob savage cries curses and shouts for vengeance filled the air many were armed and knives and bludgeons swords and pikes were brandished or shaken blood had been tasted and all the savage instincts were on fire this is horrible henri victor de guison exclaimed i feel as if i were in a nightmare not that any nightmare could compare in terror to this look at those hideous faces faces of men debased by crime sodden with drink degraded below the level of brutes exulting in the thought of blood lusting for murder and to think that these creatures are the masters of france great heavens what can come of it in the future what is going to take place now organized massacre i fear victor what seems incredible impossible is going to take place there is to be a massacre of the prisoners they had by this time reached the monastery of the carmelites now converted into a prison here a large number of priests had been collected the marseillais entered and the prisoners were called by name to assemble in the garden first the archbishop of arles was murdered then they fell upon the others and hewed them down the bishops of saint and bouvet were among the slain and the assassins did not desist until the last prisoner in the carmelites had been hacked to pieces graves had already been dug near the barrier saint jacques and carts were waiting to convey the corpses there showing how carefully the preparations for the massacre had been made then the marseillais returned to the abbey and with a crowd of followers entered the great hall here the bailiff maillard organized a sort of tribunal of men taken at random from the crowd some of these were paid hirelings of the commune some were terrified workmen or small tradesmen who had merely from curiosity joined the mob the swiss officers and soldiers who were with the priests special objects of hatred to the mob were first brought out they were spared the farce of a trial they were ordered to march out through the doors outside which the marseillais were awaiting them some hesitated to go out and cried for mercy a young man with head erect was the first to pass through the fatal doors he fell in a moment pierced with pikes the rest followed him, and all save two, who were by some caprice of the mob spared, shared his fate. 
the mob had crowded into the galleries which surrounded the hall and applauded with ferocious yells the murder of the soldiers in the body of the hall a space was kept clear by the armed followers of a commune round the judge's table and a pathway to the door from the interior of the prison to that opening into the street when the swiss had been massacred the trial of the other prisoners commenced one after another the prisoners were brought out they were asked their names and occupations a few questions followed and then the verdict of guilty one after another they were conducted to the door and there slain two or three by the wittiness of their answers amused the mob and were thereupon acquitted the acquittals being greeted by the spectators as heartily as the sentences of death victor and harry were in the lowest gallery they stood back from the front but between the heads of those before them they could see what was going on below victor stood immovable his face as pale as death his cap had fallen his hair was dank with perspiration his eyes had a look of concentrated horror his body shook with a spasmodic shuddering in vain harry when he once saw what was going to take place urged him in a low whisper to leave he did not appear to hear and even when harry pulled him by the sleeve of his blouse he seemed equally unconscious harry was greatly alarmed and feared that every moment his companion would betray himself by some terrible outburst after the three or four first prisoners had been disposed of a tall and stately man was brought into the hall a terrible cry which sounded loud even above the tumult which reigned burst from victor's lips he threw himself with the fury of a madman upon those in front of him and in a moment would have bounded into the hall had not harry brought the heavy stick he carried with all his force down upon his head victor fell like a log under the blow what is it what is it shouted those around my comrade has gone out of his mind harry said quietly he has been drinking for some days and his hatred for the enemies of france has turned his head i have been watching him and had i not knocked him down he would have thrown himself head foremost off the gallery and broken his neck the explanation seemed natural and all were too interested in what was passing in the hall below to pay further attention to so trivial an accident it was well that harry had caught sight of the prisoner before victor did so and was prepared for the outbreak for it was the duc de guisan who had thus been led in to murder harry dragged victor back against the wall behind and then tried to lift him i will lend you a hand a tall man in the dress of a mechanic who had been standing next to him said and lifting victor's body on to his shoulder made his way to the top of the stairs harry preceding him and opening a way through the crowd in another minute they were in the open air thank you greatly harry said i do not know how i should have managed without your aid if you put him down here i will try and bring him round i live not far from here the man said i will take him to my room you need not be afraid he added as harry hesitated i have got my eyes open you can trust me so saying he made his way through the crowd gathered outside he was frequently asked who he was carrying for the crowd feared lest any of their prey should escape but the man's reply given with a rough laugh it is a lad whose stomach is not strong enough to bear the sight of blood and i tell you it is pretty hot in there satisfied them passing through several streets the man entered a small house and carried victor to the attic and laid him on a bed then he carefully closed the door and struck a light you struck hard my friend he said as he examined victor's head ma foi i should not have liked such a blow myself but i don't blame you you were but just in time to prevent his betraying himself and better a hundred times a knock on the head than those pikes outside the door i had my eye on him and felt sure he would do something rash and i had intended to choke him but he was too quick for me how came you to be so foolish as to be there we had friends in the prison and we thought we might do something to save them harry answered for he saw that it would be his best policy to be frank it was his father whom they brought out it was rash of you young sir 
A kid might as well try to save his mother from the tiger who has laid its paw upon her, as for you to try to rescue anyone from the clutches of the mob. Mon Dieu, to think that in the early days I was fool enough to go down to the assembly and cheer the deputies. But I have seen my mistake. What has it brought us? A ruined trade, an empty cupboard, and to be ruled by the ruffians of the slums instead of the king, the clergy, and the upper classes. I was a brass worker, and a good one, though I say it myself, and earned good wages. Now for the last month I haven't done a stroke of work. Who wants to buy brass work when there are mansions and shops to pillage? And now, what are you going to do? My wife is out, but she will probably be back soon. We will attend to this young fellow. She is a good nurse, and I tell you I think he will need all we can do for him. You don't think I have seriously injured him, Harry said in a tone of dismay. No, no, don't make yourself uneasy. You have stunned him, and that's all. He will soon get over that. I have seen men get worse knocks in a drunken row and be at work again in the morning. But it is different here. I saw his face, and he was pretty nearly mad when you struck him. I doubt whether he will be in his right senses when he comes round. But never fear, we will look after him well. You can stay if you like, but if you want to go, you can trust him to us. I see you can keep your head and will not run into danger as he did. I do want to go terribly, Harry said. Terribly? and I feel that I can trust you completely. You have saved his life and mine already. Now you will not be hurt at what I am going to say. He is the son of the Duc de Guison, the last man we saw brought out to be murdered. We have plenty of money. In a belt round his waist you will find a hundred louis. Please do not spare them. If you think he wants a surgeon, call him in, and get everything necessary for your household. While you are nursing him, you cannot go out to work. I do not talk of reward. One cannot reward kindness like yours. But while you are looking after him, you and your wife must live." Agreed, the man said, shaking Harry by the hand. You speak like a man of heart. I will look after him. You need be under no uneasiness. Should any of my comrades come in, I shall say, This is a young workman who got knocked down and hurt in the crowd, and whom, having nothing better to do, I have brought in here. If he should recover his senses before I come back, Harry said, Please do not let him know it was I who struck him. He will be well-nigh heartbroken that he could not share the fate of his father. Let him think that he was knocked down by someone in the crowd. "'All right, that is easily managed,' the man said. "'Jacques Mandar is no fool. "'Now you had best be off, for I see you are on thorns, "'and leave me to bathe his head. "'If you shouldn't come back, you can depend upon it. "'I will look after him till he is able to go about again.'" End of chapter 7 Recording by Jen Mundo.